You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show on 710-KURV. Here's Sergio. New report out of Sweden says people who snore are more likely to get cancer. Wow. He's an expert in sleep disorders. Dr. Hal Stewart is my guest. But it's, it's folks who suffer from that obstructive sleep apnea, the OSA, the, the bad stuff, right, Dr. Hal? That's who we're, who we're talking about in this study, right? Uh, that You're exactly right. But snoring is a precursor to uh, sleep apnea. And if, if you snore, it, it, you know, it will become sleep apnea. Oh, my I mean, goodness. There's, there's, there's no doubt about okay, it. Just, you don't just wake up one day with sleep apnea. You, it develops over time, and snoring is a... Is a is a that's the precursor. Okay, like so getting that's, like, like stage one. It's like getting fat over time. Is that what you're ta- talking about? Um, kinda, yeah. yeah. <laughs> except except weight has nothing to do with sleep related breathing disorders. I've okay. had a lot of patients that are very fit that still snore or have sleep apnea. Wow. Okay. So uh, take me step by step. What happens? Why do we snore and then it gets worse over time? What's happening, yeah. Dr. Al? Well, where uh, if we go back to the root cause, um, our society since the Industrial Revolution, jaw sizes have gotten smaller every generation. Before the Industrial Revolution, there were very little anthropology. Anthropology showed us there were very few jaws that had crowded teeth. They had all 32 teeth, even the wisdom teeth. Now, 90% of jaws are crowded teeth. A lot of teeth sometimes are taken out to, to make room for the other teeth, and that makes the jaws even smaller. So you've got very small jaws, you've got uh, a tongue that has nowhere to go except backwards. So as we get older and our uh, muscle tone decreases, which that's just a normal part of aging, that tongue starts dropping back, the soft palate starts getting more flaccid, and we start snoring, and then that leads uh, to sleep apnea. Man, you got to revisit. Okay, pre-industrial revolution times. Why did yes? Why did our great 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 to the you know sixteenth pound? Why did they have? Why did these grandparents have bigger jaws as compared to what we have now? Smaller jaws and no place for the tongue. What's going yeah, on? Yeah. So 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 our DNA doesn't call for underdeveloped jaws, but uh, the the upper jaw is very very um, susceptible to. Uh, I shouldn't say susceptible. It's uh, inspired to growth by chewing. Uh, um, uh, you know, from a young age, healthy food, uh, food that's not pureed. You go to the baby aisle now at the grocery store, it's all soft foods. That's not the way we're supposed to eat. We're supposed to chew our foods, then our jaws will develop. Uh, There was no baby food, you know, 300 years ago. Kids, you know, even before they had teeth, they were gnawing on pieces of meat and uh, raw vegetables Fibrous and your stuff. jaws will okay. develop properly that way. Right. And the food was had more nutrition in it. Now our food chain route really is depleted. You really got to work hard to get healthy food. So we get a you know within one generation after the industrial revolution, jaw sizes fifty percent of jaws had crowded teeth in them, and it's wow. gotten worse. It That's was fascinating, man. You learn something new with this gig every day. I love this. <laughs> Dr. Hal Stewart, a sleep disorder expert. Again, individuals who go through this obstructive sleep apnea, uh, they're in the group. We have 30 million of those people in, in our country who, who suffer that nasty, scary type of snore where it sounds like they stop breathing yeah. for a few seconds, right? And then they, they come, right. on, come on back. And Dr. Stewart just told me anyone who snores, and I do, says anyone, you snore, eventually it'll become 
obstructive sleep apnea. So how do I prevent that, Dr. Howe? Well, if you, first of all, I would encourage anybody out there to get a, a home sleep test. It's, you don't have to pay thousands of dollars and go to a sleep lab. You can pay a few hundred dollars to get a home sleep test, and that will give the doctor a really good idea, you know, if, if you're snoring, if you have a sleep disorder breathing. And, and by the way, snoring is in the sleep disorder breathing category. So if a proper diagnosis is made, and then it can be treated accordingly. Um, we, can, we can use orthopedic remodeling devices that patients wear, and it grows their jaw helps their jaw expand, and they have more room for their tongue. Wow. Um, you can treat it immediately with a CPAP a machine that you no. sleep with or a device that pulls the jaw forward at night. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to treat it. Okay. You just mentioned one. I think I think you just mentioned I, I met a local dentist ooh, about a decade ago, and he came across mm-hmm. some technology that I think you mentioned. It, it was like a like a mouthpiece, like almost like a mouth guard. Yes. And it depressed the tongue. Mm-hmm. And Problem solved for many people that he yeah. worked with. I would prefer to go that route instead of putting a face mask, you know, and just have the air pumped into my face all night long. God forbid, I I don't want I don't want sleep apnea. Should I start using yeah. that mouth guard already? If I know, and my wife knows that I snore on regular occasions. Yeah, though the order would be you get a sleep test, you know what severity of sleep apnea or sleep-related breathing disorder we call it upper airway, upper airway resistance syndrome, and then then it's you uh, the prescription is written and the device is made to to keep the jaw hold the jaw forward and keep it from uh, from dropping back. Uh, or there's other devices that actually will expand the jaws over a period of time and give you more room for your tongue. So uh, just depending on how severe it is would be. Um, but but uh, but the but the device that holds your jaw forward will work for pretty much anyone, yeah. and it can be you know um, made and, and and applied and seated within you know just a few weeks after diagnosis. I'm still to the point. Thank you, Jesus. I'm still at the point where uh, Delia will just kind of nudge me, and if I if I sleep in a certain position, like sideways, either way, uh, yeah, it, she can't tell. It's like I'm breathing f- fine, right? But I don't know what it is. I I can't sleep uh, face up anymore because yeah and it makes sense well yeah we call that positional sleep apnea or positional sleep related breathing disorder you have to sleep at a certain position uh that's not normal you should be able to sleep on your back all night long without having any issue with breathing so if that's not the case then there is an airway obstruction and and it really should be treated yeah Maybe I should uh, not go to sleep with food in my mouth at night. That probably would help as, as well. <laughs> that would be smart. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> where, where do folks find you, Dr. Stewart? At the StewartCenter.com or just Hal Stewart DDS. Uh, you can look me up on the Internet and, uh, and find me that way. Thanks for the great advice, Dr. Dr. Hal Stewart, wow. uh, joining us on The Sergio Show. This is The Sergio Show. I have a quirky story that comes from Australia that I think is an echo of what's taking place in our society these days where uh, just too many uh, uh, at law enforcement or crime fighting or uh, lawmaking capacity seem to be turning a blind eye um, when it comes to crime. Uh, This one doesn't involve them, but you know how it is, uh, the turnstile at the DA's offices. People being released... 
uh, with no bond. This note from Australia, just a quirky story. Again, but I'm just using this as a, as a catapult. Uh, Australian University, uh, a student um, defending publishing at their newspaper, a controversial how-to shoplift guide. Chief Eugene Tumalo from New York State joining me right now. What does that say about this generation, Chief? That we It just seems to be, I don't know, I think what that story from Australia, and you complement with all the stories in our country with soft-on-crime prosecutors, the turnstiles, uh, no bond, all these reforms, and, and then how lawmakers, for example, I was talking with a friend up in Illinois just moments back, up in Chicago, like January 1st, a lot of crimes, uh, there'll be just personal recognizance, like certain um, uh, theft and just petty crimes, things like that. Normally when people get processed and put in jail for at least 24 hours to cool their heels, uh, now they'll be out within hours to commit more crime. So what do you think of this this culture that we see, this crazy culture that we see today, Chief? Well, you know, this is probably an offshoot of the, what happened in the 60s, if you recall, during the the uh, anti-war demonstrations when uh, the university the universities in many instances became hotbeds of of uh, uh, of, of counter uh, societal yeah. uh, uh, ideas and thoughts and and from that the uh, a lot of these uh, young people many from prominent families joined uh, some of these, these very uh, dangerous subversive groups like the Weather Underground and the Black Liberation Army. And uh, today, I, I think it's, it's a, a, we're, we're seeing a resurgence of that kind of a mentality um, that people are entitled to break the law uh, if they believe that they're justified. And when there isn't any consequence, it only reinforces that kind of a, that crazy kind of an attitude and, uh, and it, 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 it isn't a, a victimless crime because people like you and I that do obey the law are paying dearly for the price of goods and services because theft is so prolific and because it has such a profound economic impact on these retail and, and other uh, businesses that, that cater to the public. Do you see us moving more e- eventually, in at least our country? Do you see us moving within our life to more toward, you know, back toward a culture that is more centered on rule of law and anyone who shoplifts, any thief, all these individuals are getting away. So some of the, the shocking videos that we see, you know, they walk into a Walgreens with black bags and they fill those bags and they just walk right out and nobody arresting anybody. And some of these uh, crazy situations that are posted online. Do you see us moving back toward the center, back toward crime fighting and, and law enforcement, or is this a sign of things to come, Chief? Well, I think uh, we're in, a, we're in a, an era right now when this has proliferated society, particularly in, in the cities where crime has become so systemic and so serious. I mean, you see images every day of uh, people being punched out on the street and their wallets stolen and, and the, 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 their assailants sauntering away. I think that we are moving uh, toward a, a very lawless time in, in our society. Uh, it's a time when, uh, when, when honest and decent people are being silent on these issues. Uh, I, I, I believe that some of the reform in bail was necessary and it was overdue. But like in so many instances in America, we go so far in one direction or the other 
that it, it defeats the very purpose for which the laws were enacted, or for which the reforms were intended to wrong some of the, the ills. And right now, I think we're in a very uh, dangerous downward spiral. I know here in New York, the city is becoming a very sinister place. Right. As you were mentioning, this, I was thinking Gotham City. <laughs> we're moving toward uh, Gotham City, where eventually we need a, a vigilante, a Batman, to step up <laughs> and do the the law enforcement. And, and you know, not I'm not advocating for that, uh, but I'm thinking, man, we're we're moving in that direction quickly. And I I personally don't have much hope that things will turn around, Chief. I think things will get worse because I don't see New York voting differently. Like wising up the no, voting different. I agree with you. Yeah. So, I, I don't think that um, things will change anytime soon. Uh, I think with the downturn in the economy and and the, the dishonesty in in uh, Washington regarding the, the seriousness of the inflation that's besetting the country, uh, that there, there there will only be a, a, a greater uh, instance of crime and serious crime. Um, and, you know, people lose sight of the fact because we've become so desensitized uh, to, to, the, to the proliferation of, of these uh, crimes like, like uh, uh, petty larceny. And in many instances, grand larceny. When you see people, as you said, a group of kids go into a, into a, a grocery store or bodega, 10 or 15 of them, and they just, they just rifle through the, the shelves and run out of the store. Yeah. With a couple of hundred dollars worth of goods, and yeah. and the, the store owner is just uh, is is just standing there in in, in uh, frustration because nothing he knows or she knows nothing is going to happen to them. Ten four. Yeah. Politically, reflecting on the the political situation uh, for New York and big cities that we see the rot so deep uh, when it comes to law enforcement and, and prosecution. I think of New York, for example, politically speaking, the potential is there. But I think the the hiring, voting of Eric Adams, former cop, was a, a, probably one of the last desperate attempts by people trying to wake up and do something about because they thought they would have a cop. But you need someone no. politically who would say, "You do the crime, you do time, and if you do the crime, you got you got some skin of the game. You will be in jail, and you'll be processed at city and county." Um, and I don't see anybody standing up because immediately they start working the race card and so- social justice and justices. So there you go. Um, just Absolutely. Hope and Absolutely. pray for better days. Uh, yeah. That kind of hypocrisy, unfortunately, does garner a great deal of attention. I'm not saying that there are instances when, it's, when it, it does happen, and it does. Uh, I think that you and I will see dramatically form in law enforcement. Uh, where good cops will be honored and the bad cops will be called out and the people that don't belong in the ranks will not be there to begin with. And, right. and, and at that time, you will see a, a much greater respect for law enforcement. I hope so, Chief. Uh, I, I sure hope uh, so. From, I, from New York State, Chief Eugene Tumalo. This is The Sergio Show.
you're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids are running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. If you're in the business of trying to save babies from being killed in the womb, don't expect the FBI or DOJ come to your defense in case you're a pregnancy center or or clinic or any other institution trying to save babies is attacked by terrorists. Our Senator Ted Cruz joining me right now. So what more can you tell me about this this new season that we so enjoy at DOJ and FBI, Senator? Well, Sergio, it's good to be with you. I've got to say the Biden Department of Justice is the most politicized DOJ this country has ever seen. Uh, As you know, I've got a new book coming out in a couple of weeks that's called Justice Corrupted, How the Left Has Weaponized the Legal System. And, And what the book lays out is is what Richard Nixon tried to do. When Nixon was president, he tried to use the Department of Justice and the FBI and the IRS to target his political enemies. And and by and large, those institutions resisted Nixon. They refused to be politicized. They pushed back. It ultimately led to Nixon resigning. But what Nixon attempted to do, Barack Obama succeeded in doing, weaponizing the federal government to go after his political enemies. And now, under Joe Biden, it is metastasized. If you look at this DOJ and this FBI, we saw them send uh, agents in to storm into Mar-a-Lago to search the, the, the former president's home, something truly unprecedented in American history. And now we've seen this week an, uh, an astonishing uh, abuse of power, an individual named Mark Houck uh, in Pennsylvania, who who is a sidewalk counselor who for years, he, he is a Catholic who's gone to abortion clinics and he's tried to counsel uh, pregnant mothers to, to, to save their children. And, and um, a left-wing radical was there, was screaming at him, was screaming at his son who was there with yeah. him, was hurling epithets <laughs> with him, was, was, was insulting his son, and they got into an altercation. Uh, well, the FBI sent a squad of agents to, to, to come to his door at 7 in the morning to wake up him, to wake up his wife, to wake up his kids, to come in guns drawn, like, like they're arra- arresting Tony Montana and Scarface. Yeah. They burst in, put him in handcuffs, and take him away because of that. It is an absolute abuse of power. The reason they're doing that is because Joe Biden hates anyone who's pro-life, and he views the FBI as his personal goon squad to go punish someone who dares to disagree with him on that issue. It, it, it is outrageous what we've seen. Well, they need to make an example of someone, right? That's what I was thinking out of, out of this case. they got to make an example of someone because I don't think they have anyone else to try to make an example of because the terrorism, the attacks, the firebombing, the destruction of property, the riots, all that is on the left attacking the pro-life supporters and their institutions and their clinics and their pregnancy centers. That's that's what we've seen. And they don't even blink or consider protecting any of these any of these citizens that are under attack. Senator Ted Cruz joining me right now. So 
what can we do, if anything, or what can you do, if anything, as far as you know, oversight of FBI and DOJ over the Senate? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I think November is going to be a phenomenal election. I think Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. Uh, I think South Texas is going to be pivotal. You and I have talked about before. I believe South Texas is turning red in November. I think Myra Flores is going to win. I think Monica Dela Cruz is going to win. I think Cassie Garcia is going to win. And we're going to see three Republicans representing South Texas, all of whom are Latinas. That is a fundamental shift. I think we're going to win the Senate as well. And when we win the Senate, we are going to see some real congressional oversight of the political abuse. You look at Merrick Garland who has turned the Department of Justice into an arm of the Democratic National Committee. He ignores the law. He defies the law. There are violent protesters outside the homes of Supreme Court justices. It's a federal crime to protest outside the home of a Supreme Court justice, and Merrick Garland refuses to enforce the law. He simply looks the other way, says, never mind. We saw riots and murders and firebombings and assaults all across the country in 2020 of Black Lives Matter and Antifa rioters. This Department of Justice, this FBI, can't be bothered to go after the violent criminals on the left. It's never mind, nothing to see here. We've seen violent criminals attacking, bombing, firebombing, defacing a crisis pregnancy centers all over the country repeatedly. This DOJ can't be bothered, nothing to see here. Uh, you know, next thing you know, you're going to see Merrick Garland sitting there with a Molotov cocktail saying, where do I throw it now? The, it is ridiculous. And I've got to say, I'm an alumnus of the Department of Justice. I am angry for the principled men and women who've worked at DOJ for decades, the principled men and women who've worked at the FBI for decades. I gotta tell you, Sergio, they're pissed. They are pissed that an agency that's supposed to be apolitical, that's supposed to enforce the law, that this president and this attorney general treat them like a partisan goon squad. It is embarrassing. It's abusive. It undermines the integrity of the agency. It's fundamentally wrong. What can we do about it? I promise you, when we have Republican majorities, you're going to see hearings. You're going to see oversight. And we need to clean house and get rid of the partisan hacks that have burrowed into the senior positions at DOJ and the FBI. Well, Ted Cruz, Senator from Texas, Mike, guess, what do you say to FBI agents behind the scenes? And some whistleblower saying, we hate this yes. culture, we don't... Uh, well, please, they're trying to apologize on behalf of the FBI. What do you say to those agents who are non-biased and doing their job and trying to execute the law? What do you say to them, Senator? L listen, we hear all the time from FBI agents who are outraged with what's happening. We hear all the time from prosecutors, assistant U.S. attorneys at the Department of Justice, who are outraged at what's happening. They, these are men and women who signed up 10, 20, 30 years ago. They signed up because they believe in the rule of law. They signed up because they want to catch bad guys. And, and I don't want a Republican Department of Justice. I don't want a Democrat Department of Justice. I want a Department of Justice that enforces the law without regard to party or partisan affiliation. What we've seen now is a White House and an attorney general who are unwilling to, to, to draw a line, unwilling to set politics aside. It is all politics all the time with Joe Biden and, and, and with Merrick Garland, and it is disgraceful. It is, I gotta say, there has not been 
any individual in this country's history who's done more damage to the integrity of the Department of Justice and the FBI than Merrick Garland. And I put John Mitchell, Nixon's attorney general, in that group. Mitchell resigned in disgrace and went to jail, and Merrick Garland has done more to corrupt the integrity of DOJ and the FBI than John Mitchell ever did. i got 30 seconds left, Senator, on this issue of prosecutorial malpractice and this political bias on the part of Merrick Garland. I heard a few echoes a few days back. Impeach Garland. Impeach Garland. Do we see that starting next year? Take this guy to task. Impeach him. Uh, I think that's a fantastic idea, given his politicization and abuse of power. Absolutely, yes. The House of Representatives should impeach Merrick Garland, and they should impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, for refusing to secure the border and looking the other way while 4.4 million people have crossed illegally under Joe Biden. It is a crisis, and it is a crisis caused by partisan Democrats who don't give a damn about the human lives they're destroying with their open borders. We need to impeach them both. Ted, be safe. Ted Cruz, junior senator from Texas. This is The Sergio Show. your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news weekday morning starting at six. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at six on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Our Valley Congresswoman from Brownsville, Maida Flotis, joining us on the Sergio Show. So are you back in town right now? No, I'm I'm in Washington. Okay. <laughs> Can't wait to go back to the RGV. Top projects working on, on, on your to-do list right now. What's going on, Congresswoman? Well, today we introduced a bill that, you know, has been months in the making. Uh, the RGV Act, which will give our, our schools and students and, and families across the nation the peace of mind that we need and deserve when we send our kids to school. And I'm very proud of, of this bill that we've worked so hard. I believe that the safety of our children needs to be top priority. If we're able to send billions of dollars to foreign countries, we should be able to spend billions of dollars in keeping our children safe. And this bill calls for $11 billion investment to secure schools and and provide access also to mental health resources for schools and and students across the the country. And it's all paid by money already approved by Congress. I want to take $11 billion from the IRS given to them under the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, <laughs> which clearly, yeah. which clearly uh-huh. is, is not working. Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> I believe that it's important that we keep our, our children safe, yes. <laughs> uh, by by taking some, and uh, I suspect, my, just the way things are set up in Washington right now, that there's likely no courage. This is just my opinion. Hope I hope you could correct me, prove me wrong. There's probably no courage on the Democrat side to follow uh, your lead on this one and provide the extra security at schools and keep the money in the coffers for all these 87,000 IRS agents that will be targeting 
the, in my opinion, the middle class and working people who can't afford the high-priced uh, CPAs to defend themselves, uh, uh, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. These IRS um, agents are going to be coming after the lower and middle class. We can't afford the lawyer to fight for yeah. us. So we're going to be stuck paying back the the taxes they're telling us to pay back. And the, the rich will be able to afford a lawyer to fight back. But we're not able uh, to do that. So it's so important that we use some of those funds to actually be productive, and especially in our, our children. Uh, at the end of the day, they're our engine. They're the future of this country. And it is time that we start investing in our children versus giving billions of dollars to foreign countries. Just yesterday, the Senate passed to send $12 billion to Ukraine, another $12 billion, which is a total of over $60 billion to Ukraine. What about us? What about the people that elected us to be in the position that we're in? What about our children? And this bill, the RGV Act, yeah. promotes physical school security, increases access to mental health resources, and establishes a federal school safety best practices task force. And as a mother of four children, Nothing is more important to me than their safety, and this is the number one priority for parents across America. I, I love the play on the acronym RGV Act, reducing gun violence mm-hmm. and providing resources necessary on the front lines of school. How well has it been received by some of these lawmakers? They probably give you a smile and a handshake, but they're probably crossing their fingers, you know, on the other hand, behind their back. But tell me about some of the reaction by fellow lawmakers, uh, left and right, what do you, what have you heard? Our colleagues have been very supportive and I'm hoping that this bill will bring both Democrats and Republicans together because this bill should not be political. Protecting our children and keeping our children safe shouldn't be political. When we see our children, we shouldn't see Democrats and Republicans. We should, we need to see children the future of our country. At the end of the day, we're all Americans. We're all red, blue, and white. And we need to start putting aside politics when it comes to our children. And it, when it comes to our children, I think it's, it's something that should bring us together. Let's work together and keeping our children safe because the parents, don't ma- it doesn't matter what their political affiliation is. You would they have a- all want yeah. their children to be safe. I would imagine the way... Th- you know, political realities in D.C. And some of these Dems, uh, modern-day Democrats, uh, man, they they will not budge from their stance on reducing guns, getting rid of guns, the um, impossible task of getting rid of melting down all the guns. That's all they want is gun control. They don't want to hear anything about school security or a police officer uh, resources and, and shields and whatever, you know, retrofit of glass doors which to is, steel doors they don't want to hear any of that it's, it's ridiculous is, yeah it, it, it's wrong because at the end of the day criminals don't care for laws and we need to be ready to to face evil to face these type of you know monsters and that is why school security is, is so important and like you said our, our bill the rgv act also will allow schools to hire more law enforcement mm-hmm. which is m- very much needed oh, throughout uh, the country, especially also in our district in in South Texas. The previous bill that was passed, it only allocates $3,000 per school. That's crazy. $3,000. That won't even buy lunch for the... That is the reason why I I, I voted against it, because guess what? 
to keep a congressman or congresswoman safe, Congress supports and approves up to $10,000 to keep their home, our home safe. But yet they only want to invest $3,000 to keep our children safe? Absolutely not. Congresswoman Maida Fotis Brownsville uh, joining us right now talking about Thank you. Uh, she, she introduced the reduction, uh, the reducing gun violence RGV Act. What are the chances, Congresswoman, that this will get the proper hearing and maybe even a floor vote eventually through committee after committee? What, what's the chances you can get this uh, floated up uh, to that status? Very high chances. Okay. We have a strong voice here in, in Washington, and we have amazing support from um, our colleagues, and I know also from our our leadership as okay. well. And I have faith in, in God and, and faith in our community and faith in my colleagues that this will go through, through hard work and go. dedication. Amen. You've got <laughs> all the Republicans on your side. I, I would recommend, friend, focus on the 40, 50, 60-plus Democrats who are vulnerable come the general election in November in those swing districts. Go meet with them as many as possible personally and say, give me your support on this. Let's vote on this up or down in the House. At least give me, I know you're giving a little bit of a, of a gift there uh, to, to campaign on, but in order to get this thing passed, go talk to those Democrats and those vulnerable districts. There are about 40, 40 plus. See how many you can pluck and, and get on your side. Yeah. Absolutely. That's exactly what we're going to do, because for me, it's not about politics. Yeah, we got to get this done. It's about our it's about our children. I have four kids as well that go to the public schools as well. This is just as important for me. And I'm not going to be playing politics with this, though. We're going to be working together with both sides. Thank you for staying in the fight. Our congresswoman from Brownsville. Thank you so much. Take care. This is the Sergio Show. I'm calling a friend in the beef industry here in Texas to comment on this uh, very, in my opinion, just just uber crazy leftist story from the Netherlands. They are doing away with commercials. There's one community, uh, one Dutch city that's doing away with most commercials online, on air, uh, print that deal with meat, advertising steaks, advertising beef. They want to get rid of those ads because they don't want to continue preaching um, like lunatics about some climate crisis, at the same time allowing commercials for beef products uh, to encourage people to go eat beef and keep the cattle industry alive in, in the Netherlands, all that cow flatulence that's destroying the planet, they, they say. John Taggart is with Burgundy Pasture Beef. John, do you think, is it possible that this lunacy that is being expressed in that little small sliver of the planet and the Netherlands, you think that that's a message that would that would stick? That's a campaign that would actually gain some roots, grow some roots in our country someday in the unforeseeable future? I would say no, but we're raising the bar on <laughs> crazy. Kind of what I'm going to call things that just make you shake your head and say, really? So I, I I don't think so, and and what they're doing there is, it, it's it could not have any impact whatsoever, none. I mean, when you look at at the the cattle industry, and they're going after chicken and any meat products there, so that's that's kind of irrelevant when you talk about chickens, um, when they say about methane from cattle. So, yeah. 
Uh, what's the thinking there? What's the excuse there, there John? What, uh, what? We eat the chicken, we eat other meat, and, and then humans fart? <laughs> Is that, uh, that what's killing the, the planet? What, what's the thinking there, John? I don't know. Because <laughs> if you look back in, in the 1860s and 70s, before they eradicated the buffalo, we had about as many cattle in 1860 as we do now, be it buffalo or cattle. Yeah, that's and then the country with the most cattle in the world by far is India. 30% of the cattle in the world are in India. Oh, yeah, because they worship And them. they don't eat cows yeah, there, huh? so maybe they need to do their advertising campaign in India to eat cows there. Well, there you go. Or, or maybe uh, invent some sort of uh, gas-capturing device where you put it on a diaper on the tail, capture the gas, and then put it into vehicles to, to power engines. John Taggart with Burgundy Pasture Beef. Enough of the silliness. I, I, I saw your name pop up, and and I, I wanted to bring you on there. Tell me about your product. How you guys doing up in, in North Texas, John? We're doing well. What we do is a, a grass-fed beef, and we're a small company, but we have the ranches, and we have our own little processing facility, and we have a couple of retail stores of our own in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, so yeah. we're pretty much uh, pasture to plate to the consumer. Beef been doing a long time too. It's nineteen ninety nine. Beef prices near future, John, because we've seen you know double digit increases in the price of protein, anywhere between twelve, fifteen, seventeen percent, even higher in some places. Do you see stabilization of those you know supermarket prices? Maybe even a retreat of those supermarket prices near future we will this isn't this isn't anything new i mean the the meat supply the cattle you know population if you will is is gone up and down forever uh but what what we're kind of getting hit with now is the inputs have gone so high i mean take fertilizer take fuel to move cattle you take equipment uh it, it our inputs have have far outpaced the price and so and then and, and if you want to get to the bottom of the cattle producers they're not getting as big a piece of the pie as they are on the retail or the processing end now that's kind of why we do what we do we we vertically integrated and took all those other fingers out of that pie and you mentioned the price of all the stuff you have to pay for in order to maintain your ranch from fertilizers chemicals and feed for the livestock that you pay for that, if we saw a 15 to 20 percent increase in the price of protein and beef in particular uh, over the past year, how much might we see a retreat? Uh, might we go back to single digit, maybe 8 percent, 7 percent growth instead of 15, 20 percent inflation? What does that take? Because, yeah, I mean, you got to factor into it everything that you pay for. You you have to. Uh and, and whether that's going to happen, I'm not an economist, so I don't know. But, uh, but I'm pretty I, sure you I've got a good feel of how much you might be spending next decades. year. I'm sure I'm sure you got a good feel of how much you might be spending next year, maybe even this time next year, if all things stay the same, right? All the prices of everything yeah. that you are spending on stay well, the same. And, yeah, and in our little company, we've, we've had to raise our prices. And the other one that we haven't even talked about is labor costs, because our labor cost is going up uh, a lot. You too can't hire people. You're also like having a tough time. I thought you had your ranch hands already. <laughs> your faithful people working for you. Are you having trouble staffing? We do. We do most of that part. Our my son and I do most of that part ourselves. The hard part is the processing and the retail, particularly oh, in the processing, to hire meat cutters and have skilled meat cutters. 
and and it's it's just gotten crazy what we're having to pay i mean our we had we've raised our payroll just here recently and there's only one thing that can happen and and prices have to go up and then, and i don't see labor costs going down so to kind of answer your question of a minute ago i don't see it going down much because okay. uh, it just it can't i mean it's not sustainable it's a family-owned small beef producer in north texas burgundy pasture beef john taggart is my guest well you're we're entering fourth quarter here it is and it's um, i mean it's a super bowl time for you i'd imagine with gifts and people giving steaks and uh, other other beef uh, just real quick i got about 30 seconds left john your labor cost how much did it increase? Twenty five percent, ten percent, ballpark figure, real quick. I'm going to say about fifteen. Fifteen percent. Because I mean, they wanted a fifteen dollar an hour, hour minimum wage, and that's about what it takes to okay. get somebody hired. All right. Two years ago, you could hire the same person. Real quick, John, your website. Real quick, your website. BurgundyPastureBeef.com. Have a good weekend, friend. Thanks, John. John Taggart with Burgundy Pasture Beef. This is the Sergio Show. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an active shooter, multiple gunshots. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. The topic at this moment, why sitting all day long at work is bad for your health. He's in Florida, Dr. Greg Larravee. At least they told me he was going to be in Florida. Are you in Florida, Dr. G? Yeah, I actually am in Florida. So, you know, I got to ask you, how'd it go for you the past couple of days? Where are you? Well, we're on the East Coast, uh, just uh, about 20 minutes north of West Palm Beach in Jupiter, Florida. So we, we got lucky over here, but unfortunately, uh, the images are, are quite devastating on the, on that West Coast. Yeah, understood. All right. So sitting all day at work, and I was I'm saying, heads up, radio people, heads up, radio people. And that's just my sales staff sitting at their computer all day waiting for emails, orders to, to come in. Uh, forget the, the broadcast staff. So why is it bad to sit around all day long at work? You're working. You're, you're burning calories using your brain. I mean, that's good, isn't it? Absolutely. But think about it. I mean, we're, we're sitting uh, you know, during our commute uh, on the way to work. We're sitting in front of our computer. Then we go home. We sit for dinner. And then we sit on the couch and binge watch TV and play on our phones. Uh, however, um, when you're sitting so much, that slows down that blood flow system, the oxygen through the body. Uh, humans are made to stand upright. Uh, your heart and cardiovascular system work more effectively that way. Um, so, you know, prolonged periods of sitting worsen health. That, it's all that's day. a fact. Yeah, it's all day. Um, it reminds me, we're getting a new studio here at our radio cluster. I'm looking at my producer, Freddie. Man, I, I've been making an argument. I'd, I'd love to have like a stand-up studio where you walk up to the microphone and you're standing up and then you walk away. I'd love to have that, but I, 
I don't know if we'll get the chance. What's the best time to exercise, Dr. G? Morning or evening? What's the best time to exercise? Well, again, I mean, so the prolonged sitting is one thing, right? So working out in general, uh, usually in the morning, but we have to build it in and know our schedule. I mean, whatever works for, for most people, if you have the option, morning is best. Uh, however, the prolonged sitting, even though you get up and work, work out, go to the gym for an hour or two, you're happy with what you did, and you go sit all day long, well, guess what? You just undid everything that you, you, you did at the gym. Really? Uh, the key thing is to keep moving. Even if you're, you're at the gym, you need to get up and keep moving. So what we tell our patients here at the clinic is um, every 20 minutes, you got to get up and, and move around, even if it's for a minute. And it, it's, it's not difficult to become active. It's just a matter of planning. Uh, standing desk is, is a great way to do it. Um, the other way is every 20 minutes, get up and go get a glass of water. It might not be possible for some folks uh, to do that. Uh, and I'm guessing the plan B would be to, I don't know, um, suck in your stomach, pretend to do some sit-ups while you're sitting. Uh, you know, do, do some sitting exercises would be a good idea. Well, what would you recommend as far as sitting exercises? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you're sitting, get get an exercise ball. Sit on the exercise ball. Uh, that'll help <laughs> with proper posture. And, 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 yeah, it'll make you work. It, it definitely works. No, it, you know, avoid I get sleepy. About the, that exercise ball <laughs> trying to balance, plop, they're going to hear something. You're going to hit me here. Hit the floor. I'm going to fall asleep trying, trying to balance on that thing. But that's a great idea, though, if you stay awake. If you stay awake. If you stay awake. Yeah. All, it, all it takes is one falling one time, <laughs> and you'll never do it again. <laughs> that is such a good idea. Uh, Dr. Greg Lavery, uh, Laravy uh, joining us from uh, from Florida right now. We're talking about exercising and uh, not sitting around all day long. What does that do? Uh, ne- the negative effects of the, the blood flow, the lack of blood flow. Tell me what happens to the body as you sit around all day again. Well, I mean, so you're increasing inflammation. Um, the risks are uh, potential heart disease, uh, cancer, diabetes, weight gain, um, you know, low back pain. So all these things uh, are going to hamper our quality of life and, and uh, affect our, our daily outcome. I mean, so what they saw was the people that are less active uh, are people 65 or over. Um, so we need to encourage this population to get up more. Um, you know, it's not a, a matter of going to run a marathon, uh, but get up and, and move around. At the end of the day with my work schedule, brother, I am spent. Man, 6 o'clock, I am dragging. 6, 7 p.m., I'm dragging, and I'm looking for the back. I, I won't be able to hit the sack for a while, but the the mere thought of doing any type of exercise at times, and it's getting, it seems to be getting worse all the time for me on a daily basis. Just getting outside, getting some fresh air, and walking around the neighborhood. The mere thought that it's, it's almost impossible. That, that's why I was asking you what the best time to exercise is, which for me is kind of difficult with this work schedule. It's early in the day. I feel so strong at the beginning of the day. But uh, at the end of the day, I just feel spent. It's probably my age. Maybe, maybe it's low T. I don't know, man. It's just uh, I would imagine that's why it's a, a vicious cycle for people to try to escape when they're so tired at the end of the day. It is. Yeah, it is a vicious cycle, and guess what? I mean, the more you move, the more energy you build, the more endurance you get. So it's all uh, a change in mentality. Um, you know, sitting for prolonged times also it affects your, your mental state. Uh, it showed that, you know, it increases anxiety and depression. So it's just a matter of getting into routine. And if you could uh, build that routine for a week or two, guess what? Now it's your new routine. Um, and that's how you get started. Yeah. 
I'm reminded that a medical event, a cardiac event, God forbid a stroke or something like that, yeah, that will definitely change your schedule. So I guess one way to look at it is you know, think ahead, change it now before a medical event uh, changes it forever yeah, d- for you. D- yeah, yeah. Don't, don't wait for bad things to happen. You know, it's always going to happen to the other guy, never, and never yes, yourself. Sir, no, I understand. That, that's, not, that's not the way to look at things. It's all yeah. about staying proactive, um, you know, improving your quality of life and obviously prolonging life. Yeah, I'm nodding as I'm eating a chocolate-covered donut right now uh, with you, Dr. G. Uh, thank you for your insight. Dr. Greg Larravee from Florida. This is The Sergio Show.